and welcome to the Untapped Philanthropy Podcast. I'm your host and Flux co-founder, Corinne Mitchell. I've spent my career exploring technology's role in amplifying impact within our social sector, and more specifically, helping funders to learn to leverage technology and data to connect and better serve our collective causes, constituents, and communities. In this podcast series, my team and I will profile social sector leaders, public figures, philanthropists, and industry futurists to explore this fascinating intersection of funding, technology, and policy. We're here to analyze the most critical and formative topics and trends that shape philanthropy both today and tomorrow. We hope this series leaves you inspired to think and act through a more collective and visionary lens. So another thrilling season of Untapped Philanthropy has come to a close. First, I'd like to thank you all who tuned into this podcast for the last two years. It has been absolutely thrilling to be a part of, and I hope you have found the many, many voices of incredible change makers to be something that was inspiring as we are all committed in our fight to bring a more democratized philanthropy forward. And I think, you know, the idea that all boats rise together is something that has always felt very true to our industry. It's very true to me. It's very true to Flux. So looking into our new year, of course, the industry is changing. And as technologists, as podcasters, we can and will change as well. So I've long felt that one of the things that would really be advantageous in this podcast is to bring extra voice and insight in from actually the nonprofit side. So of course, my background comes from foundations, from grant makers, government. But I think, honestly, we needed to complement that funder side. So on that note, we have a very special announcement to share with you that one of my dearest, most favored friends, both in industry and in life, Mr. Tim Sarantonio, will be joining us as a co-host for all the Untapped Philanthropy episodes next season. Tim is someone who you may remember from season one of Untapped Philanthropy. He's the director of corporate brand for Neon One, and he brings his voice to Neon's platform for all the fundraising, the community building program and operations that enable nonprofits to create these truly generous experiences. So I could not be more happy to bring in this other voice from the the other side of the structure of funders and nonprofits come together in this podcast. It's exactly what we're doing with this hosting. Um, Tim, there are no words to describe my excitement. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hi, oh. hi, folks. I hope uh, we haven't lost all of you immediately for this episode. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We had a podcast together. I can't remember what it was. But someone's like, you guys should do a podcast. You guys should host one together. And I was like, that is not a bad idea. Yeah, I think it might have oh. been Good Tech Fest, actually. Yes. Well, I mean, for those people who did catch your episode, they have background, but perhaps we can have you reintro yourself to the learners, catch them up on the latest and greatest from Neon, and just why you're excited to join. Yeah, I, I mean, kind of what's really thrilling about this is that I've long been a part of the nonprofit sector, but in different capacities. So my name is Tim Antonio again, and I'm with a company called Neon One. But that's actually less important for this because it's more about looking into what the average small to mid-sized nonprofit especially is experiencing. 97% of the U.S. sector alone is under $5 million in annual revenue. So that's kind of my background. I'm coming from that. I'm living from that. I actually got my start in the nonprofit sector because I thought I was going to be an academic. I got two master's degrees because that's what you do. You keep you history, keep, right? History and uh, well, history and and uh, post-colonial theory, that's right? Yes, uh, and education. So, so uh, you know, Corinne, I did what every good academic does, which is you go further into debt <laughs> with less clear direction on why you're doing it. And, uh, and then that kept happening and, and, and I kept applying, I applied two rounds for PhD programs and had moved to Chicago because almost everything that I wanted to do was in the middle of a cornfield in the Midwest. <laughs> so uh, I thought I was going to be a labor historian and, and tell the stories of, of folks, uh, doing grassroots wildcat strikes and, uh, and, and, you know, really interesting labor movements that have nothing to do with unions or stuff like that. And it wasn't in the cards, folks. That's why you're listening to me on a technology and generosity and philanthropy podcast right now, obviously. Um, well, our, our win, you know, academia's loss. I'm actually... Academia's loss. Well, and we're going to, I think, we'll eventually touch on some of that Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. 
because because I think it has helped inform how I approach this, which is ultimately historians want to understand the story. Right. And ultimately, my job is to tell the story of the kind of the, the small nonprofits that you don't hear about in particular. And, and I think that's something that's a, a nice compliment in some ways, too, because typically the story I bring is one of economics and finance. So I'm always talking mm-hmm. about it at a different angle. So I'm, that's why I'm also so amped that you bring this storytelling perspective, because truly that's where, I mean, that's where hearts and minds come together and collaborate, which is what we're seeing right now in the industry. So it's, it's well, I, I think it's the, there's really only two paths forward. And you know this, and this is why we're doing stuff like this, because the path forward is either one where we get our act together. Or we don't, and trust continues to erode in our sector, and people start trusting, uh, uh, you know, Amazon to do better at delivering impact than the nonprofit sector, and that's not a world that I want to live in. <laughs> Amen. And, and well, and I experienced this. My very first job was was in two thousand and eight as a grant writer, and and kind of the the morbid thing that I've been hearing is, well, you haven't been a fundraiser until you've lived through a recession. And for for me, I was hired to write grants to foundations, and that's what was I was trained to do for my job and it was it was hard it was really hard the organization had ninety thousand dollars in in all the revenue that it made for two staff for the building for the internet all of it ninety thousand imagine that so imagine my salary <laughs> not very high of love indeed <laughs> well and and that's the type of thing that that like y- you know when technology came into play and i know that we're going to be talking about um kind of the new age of philanthropy right and so what i started realizing is technology could be useful if it wasn't so damn hard right and i remember downloading because i think i read something on the internet and that you know it must be true you should get a crm and so I not, downloaded not, not a, advice, but yes, agreed. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> some stuff on the internet's good folks like this <laughs> podcast. Right. And so, you know, there's so many people out there where they hear, well, you should get a free CRM or you should, you should get something as cheap as possible. And that's what I did. And the reality is, is that you get what you pay for. Right. Free as in kittens. Free as in kick kittens or puppies. I like kittens, so I'm not going to use that as my example. But, <laughs> but yeah, free as cu- cu- kittens, puppies, stuff like that. And 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 I know that I've already had a vision of us getting into that topic specifically. By the way, Corinne, in season okay. the next season, so no. we can re- we revisit how broken CSR is when it comes to technology. I'll tell you that, <laughs> but. I, I would say that that what I experienced and what I understood is that you have to put the technology last because you when you're designing a generosity experience, which is kind of what we do, right? Like Neon One helped facilitate over $2 billion in individual gifts. That's our expertise. I could talk about events. So you, this is what you're going to get <laughs> next season mm-hmm. is the intersection of everything that you've heard with Corinne and all her guests slamming into the grind of individual giving because they both end up going to the same pot, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And to only have focus on one would be myopic. And I think we are now in a world, as you know, of collaborative social sector and to create something sustainable. We know technology has a role, but we know that intersection has to be at the, for- the forefront, really, of those conversations. So that's the part that I'm so amped about you being here with us. Well, and I'm excited, too. I, yeah. I've, long, I've long felt that, that look, there's, there's a few walls that we keep running into. Because if you look at Giving USA data, um, which, which, you know, we're a member of the Giving Institute. And so I know how the sausage gets made in that report. And there's a lot of things that are great. There's a lot of things that are really frustrating about that. And one of the frustrating components, though, is one, it, when you see the big pie chart and it says 69% of, of, of philanthropy is, is individuals. Well, it's like, okay, what does that actually mean? 
because <laughs> you also throw bequests on that pie chart next to foundations and corporations. And then within that, there's a whole world of weird stuff. Donor advice funds, um, uh, 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 stock, cryptocurrency, all of that is stuff that I have to pay attention to. So this is going to be fun. And and the data is is fascinating to then step back and, and see what are these trends in terms of how high net worth uh, individuals are thinking about it. Like Mackenzie Scott herself, for instance, represented in you know 2021, I think, just 1% of all that individual giving. I mean, you mentioned trends. So let's talk about that. 2023, just around the corner. Yep. What are some of the tech trend predictions that you kind of have in your mind around fundraising, given experience, the role of community philanthropy? Tell me what's in your mind right now. Well, I always start with the the, the kind of the larger benchmarking initiatives that the sector has. And, and this is something that we in individual giving, I think, do really well that that I hope that our foundation friends can pay attention to more. And I know that you're going to help shed light on what I'm missing, too. That's what's so fun about this, by the way. Right. Because you can be like, yeah, no, that's actually already being worked on, Tim. So slow your roll. (laughs) Like, put a pin in it, buddy. Put a pin in it, buddy. You don't know everything. And that's why, like, like, I think it's important that both Corinne and I are very inquisitive and we never assume that we know everything. We just know our stuff, though. And so one of the cool things that's been happening is the Fundraising Effectiveness Project, which is an initiative between the Association of Fundraising Professionals, which is the primary professional body of individual fundraising practitioners, um, and then Giving Tuesday's data commons. And a lot of times people might hear Giving Tuesday and they think that Giving Day thing or that thing that like destroys my inbox. Like, no, it's actually a lot more. And so there's a data commons where the providers on the CRM side, my company, Bloomerang, DonorPerfect, and Kila, right now, but we're, at, we're working on adding others for individual giving. And it's looking at, in a unified way, what are things like donor retention? What is acquisition like? And bucketing it down by mission as well as revenue size of the organization. So we have monthly insight into what donors are actually doing and whether they're sticking around. So when it comes to the technology question, the that's great, but it also means that if we're going to tell the true story, because there's some, some vendors out there that they only paint a pretty picture. And I don't believe in that. I believe that the data is the data, and then it's us to, inter- our job is to interpret it. Right. Not to put out the rosy picture. There are certain companies in the space that don't put out a report if it looks makes them look bad. That's not our job. Our job is to tell what's happening and to help adapt. So what's happening is that retention always sucks. That's kind of the, the, for for however long the initiative's been around since 2006, the story generally between fundraising effectiveness project and then eventually giving USA is number number of dollars is up, but beneath the surface, it's a bunch of rich people driving it. And so retention typically flags very high on the lower levels of giving, those entry-level gifts, the $100, even up to $5,000. So stuff that a foundation is going to blink at. They're going to be like, yeah, what? who cares, right? Like maybe they, they might term that a micro-grant if it's 5000 bucks, right? But for a small nonprofit, that could be transformative. And so remember, $90,000 per year. Maybe adjusted for inflation, that's a little bit higher, but still, $5,000 gift can be significant. But a lot of times, what you're seeing is it's below five or below or or above five. And the people who are above five, if they give to a nonprofit, they stick around. Here's the issue. We saw during the pandemic that a lot of people started giving smaller amounts. We actually saw a reversal of the kind of... Yeah, yeah. During during the pandemic, it the the things reversed a bit. Wait, like the average came down because more people were giving. Like, did the number go up or was it like overall? Like, the, so that the overall bucket has continued to rise no matter what. That's kind of the the USA Today Newsweek thing that you or always like read. Ten percent or whatever it be. Yeah, whatever yeah. it may be. Whatever. The it, the issue during the pandemic is that the number of individuals started reversing what has been a downward trend 
that Lily School and and us, for instance, have been paying attention to, which is household giving. The percentage of Americans who give per year has been going down pretty consistently. So you see this in the form of, you know, when when I talk about generosity and philanthropy, I, I kind of see it as time, talent, treasure, and trust, right? So we always talk a lot about money, but volunteering's down too. So what happened during the pandemic is that there was a little bit of a, a bright spot. More people were giving. Right. Well, guess what? Short-lived. The numbers no. are going down again. And not only that, the acquisition numbers are starting to be concerning. And I mean, that's cool for you guys. Like when you look at that as someone that's trying to help bring forward things like Giving Tuesdays and other aspects, I mean, where do you see 2023? Like what are the active ways that you guys are saying, how do we, gosh, how do we address that? I know that's like the Holy Grail question I just asked. The, holy, the holy Grail question starts with understanding communications. Okay. If you look at generosity as an awareness spectrum, down to an accountability spectrum, right? You know this is like like if somebody applies for a grant, they have to find the grant first sure. to even know that the money's there. Same for individual donors. They need to like find the donor or the donor needs to find them. <laughs> and then then the trans everybody focuses all their data collection on the money. And that's good. But the reality is is that we have an immense black spot in our data on understanding what is getting somebody to the finish line in the first place. Right. The awareness set of a nonprofit down into the decision set. And so individuals tend to give to Bank of America did a study and they found, I think that the, the average high net worth individual in particular gives to about five charities per year. Okay. So they tend to also group them by causes as opposed to just a bunch of random stuff. If I'm giving to higher ed, for instance, I might typically give to my alumni organization and then maybe other programs that might ask, right? It's kind sure. of like a cluster of giving that people have in their, right. in their interest. Same, same with like social justice causes. I give to bail bond fund and then I start to learn about things like poverty in the area, something Absolutely. like that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It, it's where, and especially as you see things have connections, you tangentially are saying, you know, if I'm going to augment this program, then helping with X policy or Y, you know, whatever it be, yep. I think there's, there's a natural extension that occurs. So here's, here's why the trend for 2023, in my opinion, is, is at least partially driven by a proper merging of fundraising and marketing operations where good fundraisers will be able to be be good marketers as well. And I think that's actually an interesting one, because if I were to flip that question to myself, which mm -hmm. I would do so boldly, um, mm -hmm. you know, I look at that and say, well, then it's our job on the, the funder side to say, to your point, how do we start to bring that awareness forward so that the marketing gets ingested and, and understood and all that hard work that's going forward into that realm is met by an open platform, searchable and structured in ways that give people access to seeing the great work. And I think that's something we're, I mean, we're seeing obviously in 2023 for the, the trend that we have, it is quite obviously this kind of race to a data commons. And I think everyone on the funder yes. side realizes that they are the right determining step to um, making changes that are lasting for the industry. Because if they don't change the fact that they all have unique requirements, no, none of this can ever happen anyway. So we're starting to see things like, of course, common data, or sorry, common grants, applications, data, yes. words, all that good stuff. And I think it's bringing forward the question of shared and collaborative governance, you know, who owns the data? Where does it go? And, and that has been, oh my God, it has been a freaking nightmare because you look at these things and they're doing all the right things. And then one person comes in and, you know, you've got vendors with different strategies, you know, foundations who are wonderful, willing to share their org, but not their grant data. So it's just so many different versions of the same thing. And it's grounding people back to that collaborative idea of like, hey, guys, something is better than nothing. Like, do not fight for perfection right now. Like, let's just get a couple of things out there. Let's just get your foot in the door when right, it comes right. to it. And, and I think and, we've and, seen that. It's just, it's a hard, I mean, it's, it's overcoming. It's change management that would take years to get through. And we're trying to shove it into a couple months so that 2023 has some element of system interconnectivity and other things that are needed to bring the marketing platforms that are being created forward. And I think that's the thing when you talk about 
high impact people, not necessarily the name brand, um, you know, uh, nonprofits, but the ones that are actually boots on the street doing the right thing and actually not in a position where they're doing high level marketing, but giving them a way to put forward their good work in something that is digestible by the masses. And to your point, putting them in touch with funders, not just individual donors who are absolutely critical, but like getting them the bigger checks that I think help with that, you know, capacity building and all the things. So here's the ideal state, in my opinion, that happens that a small nonprofit could could approach this from a tactical standpoint and where it would where it gets really interesting on things like data commons and reporting. Yeah. That the foundations inadvertently can have a downstream impact here because we all know that most of this stuff is going to be not intentional planning, but it will happenstance. Somebody's going to figure out a work around that like really is good. Right. As opposed to this was we we planned this all along. Ha ha yeah. ha. Yeah. And so here's what I think would be interesting is that if a nonprofit approaches their revenue planning and puts proper prioritization into understanding the role of overall service fees and and program operations revenue that might come through like ticket sales tuition that type of bucket right like like that's that that's your mission if you make any money versus that that's great but a bunch of nonprofits don't right they fully rely on on donations right so no matter what, if we're focusing on the revenue side where a foundation or individual gets involved, this is how going for grants can drive individual giving revenue. This is how I think about it. If I go for a grant, it what it does is helps hone in the ideal state when I'm writing my letter of intent all the way to doing reporting on it. However, you know, often I have to do it. It helps hone the story that the narrative that I'm trying to tell. It focuses on the value statements that I should be highlighting to make it stand out because that's why you're trying to apply for a grant. So as long as you're not doing that, uh, I'm actually talking about this, but really I'm going to use the money for that thing, which (laughs) I know happens because I did it. (laughs) Um, uh, what what ideally is happening is that you're driving toward the things that are really impactful, really helping your community, and really opening up the conversation and exciting people. And it's exciting your staff, it's exciting you, and it's exciting the pro- the participants because it's working. What happens is that in an ideal state, if if uh, foundations and the technology behind it are starting. And I've seen this because I know we've talked about this too. We're starting to see a little bit of impact storytelling, right? It's kind of like what um, Dan Lamont's doing with Threshold World, mm-hmm. where it's saying, I'm going to help tell the the impact story a little bit better. Impact stories, though, are what individual donors love. That's the thing, is that when you actually can articulate the results of your grant, as an example, think about how you can repurpose that into a much simpler report back to your individual donors. That's marketing. Yeah. What you're doing is repurposing some of the data points and philanthropic psychology. And yes, that's a thing. And yes, I have a certificate in it. folks. <laughs> And so, how many letters do you have after your name? My goodness, <laughs> I don't think that's a lettered one, but it is. I did, but you know, it is something I got to put on my LinkedIn profile. It's a good. Right, it was good. It was good. That was Professor Jen Shang in the okay. at the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy in the UK. She'd be a good guest, by the way. We can try to get there. Right, I need to interrupt you. <laughs> but what philanthropic psychology tells is that people are activated. They've done research on whether individuals and i think in turn understanding donor psychology helps with the grant writing process because ultimately you're still writing to people we haven't gotten to the machines analyzing every grant application yet folks so you know sorry but like uh the matrix hasn't taken over there yet and so huge i mean i think that's the thing that i mean even in shoots in our life like in technology like the amount of time i go back to stuff that you know when we started flux 14 years ago still holds true i mean like thank goodness i had to save everything (laughs) in abundance but like the truth is is yeah like repurposing thinking that through and then to your point having the technology platform 
come forward from funders where you only have to submit it once, even if that's funders, and then you still deal it out, like you said, with the individual donors. I think it's a really interesting you know, concept. To sort of I, I know we're, I, I, you know, and this is just folks, this is just kind of how I work. So I'm throwing a, a wrench in the script, so to speak. I got a question for you. Are you worried about people like that chat bot thing that's come out? Oh, I was playing well, with it this weekend. It's interesting. It's so interesting. It, I, it, I used it because I'm actually writing a one man play uh, based off of a Christmas carol that by the time of this coming out, it should be out. And so uh, a fundraiser's carol. I'm going to have that thing write the script. But are you worried or do you think there's a potential? Because I started seeing this crop up in we academia. Chat GPT, right? What's that? Yeah. I'm talking about chat GPT. Yeah. Okay. Chat GPT. Yeah. So, so that tool from OpenAI, do you think that people are going to use it to attempt to write grant applications? I think they're going to use it for that. They're going to use it. College students will write papers with it. Like, yep. If you go in, I actually, this weekend, I was joking around with my partner who is also in technology and he was writing up, he was like, check this out. And he like wrote like grants management website for fun, blah, blah, blah. And it wrote all the website copy, like just as well, if not better than what I could have written. And it, and all you do is use that as a starting point. Now, I don't think you can copy it like, you know, verbatim. It's not, it's not interesting enough and it's not unique enough, but it gives you a good starting point and actually structured ways to look at it. I think it's going to change marketing for sure, a hundred percent. But for sure, grant writing too. I mean, there's ways to be able to have that as a starter, and it's it exists. And again, slight deviation of what we're talking about, but like, is that a trend? Heck yeah! Like that's a no brainer. Um, but yeah. how do you use it? You know, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, but it is interesting about like how do we how do we look at that? Because my thought is exactly that, which is for this to our marketing guy, make sure he doesn't have to, you know, write anything from scratch anymore and start editing instead of building things from zero. Well, and 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 one of our our friends and partners over here is a guy named Chirian Koshi at Endowment. He's again another. I, I'm going to bring a lot of great folks, folks. I can already tell you. So Chirian Chirian did something interesting where he actually wrote a copywriting artificial intelligence tool over the pan during the pandemic. He basically watched everything on Netflix. This is a story he tells. Yeah. He watched everything on Netflix and then got bored, and you know said, okay, I am going to solve the white page problem. And the white page problem is you're staring at that Word doc. The thing is blinking in the corner. There's nothing on the screen. Right. And you're like, where do I start? And what this does is help prime the pump of creativity. Right. Uh, concrete example, press releases. They all have there's the same. A, there's problem. a formula to those. Almost there's a formula. Where, yeah. That was yeah. the one I suggested that he make, made. I said, why don't you do a press release? Because they all followed, like, that's an easy AI thing, because it's like, they they all have the same flow. And so, it's, I think, we're ideally savvy, savvy fundraisers and practitioners are going to use that, that type of stuff. And the really savvy vendors are going to build it in a way that's natural and not weird. Because <laughs> it can definitely get weird on it's the individual weird. fundraising side, especially. Huh. So I am excited because we are going to be moving forward. I got to work on this, but in October next year, we're going to do a symposium with a, a, an ethics institute, and we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and philanthropic data. Actually, hmm. so I think that that's that's going to be a really good topic because I think there's a lot of things to worry about, but there's a lot of opportunity too. I mean, it's kind of one of those trends that's coming at us. So to omit this from the part saying, what's a trend? Of course, this is a trend. I mean, this is something that, and you, again, you can, you can scream to the high heavens that this thing has taken away the creativity, blah, 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 blah. But the reality is it's happening. It's available. It's open source. So this open AI stuff, like there is a reason why it, it has a wait list (laughs) to get on it. Like it's very compelling, but the the truth is to your point. How do we manage it and how do we use it for, for positive? And that's all the AI stuff that's coming in in 2023. It's, it's there are channels and ways to make this work well, help people, you know, work through their, their content, take that administrative burden away so they actually can stick on the programming side instead of the 20 to 30% of time that they spend on yep. administrative, you know, shenanigans. So, well, and, and, and I think that touches on a really key value point here. 
because whenever folks talk about AI right now, one, it's always framed in the 3% content problem that I love to point out, which is, again, that 3% of nonprofits that are above $5 million in revenue. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. They obviously drive a lot of great work. And I know that's a lot of where um, you know foundations want to make sure that they're, they're driving an impact, right? So they count in that, by the way. They're in that 5%, you know, that 3% because they have nice endowments. Right. So the reality, though, is that if you design, it's not necessarily the nonprofits or even donors, is that there's a larger world of technology vendors that are coming in, seeing a lot of money get thrown around. The valuations are insane. And, and when it comes to the technology vendors out there, and what that means is that everybody starts building their business plan around what they see. And there's a lot of people who don't understand the nuances of nonprofits like you and I do and everybody who's listening to this. Right. And they think, well, it's all digital. And they're actually designing for 3% of nonprofits who can actually handle that stuff. And whereas the 97 other percent are like, what the hell do you mean, artificial intelligence? I can barely get my board to pay attention to me. I think they have an artificial brain in their head. Right. And and so that's the reality is, is that the value point ultimately needs to peg to we're, we're serious. This this it doesn't matter what size nonprofit you are. This is going to save you time and actually allow you to open up a new world of opportunity. But where it's table stakes Going back to that funny thing, that chatbot grin, somebody ran through subject lines for like emails promoting like nonprofit CRM. And it means that we all tell everybody we do the same things because the, 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 the subject lines that got spit out were like so obvious that it's, that it's like you got to go a different direction. And this, this actually relates. And then I'll get off my soapbox on this one. If you look at the pecking order of where the cool innovations are coming from, um, individual nonprofits are like last. You have the military, then you have the consumer world, the business to consumer world. Every cool thing that you see, drones delivering packages and like like robots talking to you and running around, all of that stuff is designed to sell people crap. That it's not designed to help, and right. it's not even necessarily designed for business to business, which then comes next. And then even then, everybody thinks business to business stuff is so boring that all the good marketers are trying to work for, for consumer companies. So what you, ha- what you have happen is that the innovations drive toward the money. The money's obviously in military right. <laughs> military stuff at the very top. Right. Right. And then right. and then after that, it's like what's gonna get people to like buy stuff? And then the nonprofits come at the end and it's like, oh right, we want to help people. Well, it's the downstream symptom of where like gaps yeah. have been filled in the wrong spots. The public sector can't necessarily fill the gaps that are coming in. And so we end up doing a lot of operational projects, which is great. You know, all the things that incredible work like fix the form and all the things that aim to save yes. millions of hours. Fantastic. But at the same point, the real innovation tends to be an afterthought or something that they can't even take on because they can't get past that almost like foundational element and not foundation in the sense of funder, foundational element as a basic of what it takes to be able to run an organization. Because, you know, for example, I'm on a board um, here in Hawaii and you know, our, our ED is on, um, on unemployment half the time because we can't yeah. pay her. And it's, it's absolutely insane. So how do you ever come forward and say, take a look at this AI bot? She's like, I don't even know what you're talking I, about. I, I can't even pay my rent. Yeah. And, and it, she made it through the pandemic. She was one of, you know, yeah. basically one of three fa- uh, nonprofits didn't make it through the pandemic. Like she made it through. And that's, that's a sign that, you know, of resilience, of course, but but to your point, there are ways where we look at that and say, well, where does innovation take place and how do we make it accessible? And part of it is is starting to look at changes that can be made, you know, and taking away some of the hurdles. So, of course, fix the form. Yes, all the things good and wonderful yep. that, that we have now brought forward. You know, a million nonprofits now have, you know, streamlined ways to be able to look at their forms differently because software is behaving better. And yeah, 
There's a whole podcast on that you can check out. But the reality is there's also things around like how we get outreach programs set up and how do we start to do that tidal wave shift. And part of it is just changing the mindset of people. And one of the things you had mentioned way earlier was Mackenzie Scott and some of the stuff that's going on, obviously, with trust-based philanthropy. But that kind of embracing of more funders moving towards unrestricted funding, transparency, less administration can actually help too. So in, in addition to AI and the large innovations, it's also just a shift in like change management and getting people to think differently about how to give. And that's, again, there's no legal reason that everyone makes this so freaking hard. It's just they've cho- chosen to do that. I think Mackenzie and all them are also the other side of it. You know, there's technology and then there's just process and, and mindsets that need to be changed. And I'm curious to get your take on what you think about that whole like, hey, Mackenzie, can you just give us money or what does that look like? I mean, that's the other big trend we're talking about in, in terms of AI and then this. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's kind of the practical thing that for years we've been making jokes about people, you know, saying, can you put me in touch with Oprah? Yeah. <laughs> It, 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 all all this is is the same idea, which is let's go to a rich person and ask them for money, and that that's a misunderstanding of what um, true community building is. Because when you're when when you are building a community, ultimately comes it, it comes down to trust, which is an interesting you know element uh, in the evolution of trust based philanthropy. By the way. Uh, it, it applies out on the individual giving side too, where it's ultimately the Edelman trust barometer rates nonprofits below uh, for-profit businesses in terms of what people trust. And right. part of it is you're hearing, it, it's hard because you're either hearing about financial mismanagement, and that's just one of two things, outright real mismanagement or a misunderstanding of overhead where it's okay to give people money for salaries. You're not killing the children <laughs> if you pay somebody uh, a living wage. Zero game, I agree. <laughs> and a lot of a lot of people have a misunderstanding. And I started and I can't I don't have any data to back this up, but anecdotally I started noticing on a few of the more conversational uh uh or, or weirder social media apps, specifically Twitter and TikTok. I would post, you know, I post a dumb, sorry, Karen, are you on TikTok? Um, I'm not because I am not. I, You're I have, not. I'm not. I'm not TikTok. I'm not Snapchat. I've got like Insta and I've got Twitter. And I'm There like, you go. Well, I'm, I am on TikTok, folks, if you want. You, 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 can I check out? Okay, I'm going to go check yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. T- Tim Neon one. And all I do is I didn't post this this week yet, but like I typically just do a dumb treadmill tech tip. Oh, that's nice. Well, here's the thing that I started noticing is that there would be weird topics that would drive the algorithm and the comments would basically be around charity should not exist. It would be kind of the effect of altruism type stuff hmm. in, in many ways. Where, <laughs> to bring up that topic, perhaps. I knew. That, that, let's let's what, see if it's even worth revisiting in its own. Effect of altruism into a bucket for we, <laughs> we we if and my hope is we don't even have to talk about it because it's dead. That's my that's 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 my per, uh, stand on that thing. By the way, uh, uh, an executive, a former executive at my company, handed me a book about it, and I immediately like I don't, I don't throw books in the trash, but I put it down pretty quick. Let's mm. just say that. Yeah. So so what's interesting there is that donors want to trust the nonprofit. And so you hear things about where to put the money, what to do with that. And then there's been conflicting research on the impact of a Mackenzie Scott gift itself, where some people found that it was an inhibitor to giving. I think that was the, uh, that would be Nathan Chepel and his book, Generosity Crisis which I went to the book launch party. Fantastic book. But they were talking about some of the data that they found said people who got Mackenzie Scott gifts, donors were like, well, sounds like you're good. Oh, interesting. And then the Center for Effective Philanthropy, which is Phil Buchanan out in Cambridge, uh, Giving Done Right, which I love, another great book, he found the opposite. (laughs) He found that it actually drove 
<laughs> I, I saw his because I was thinking like, you know, there was no negative side. They were kind of saying, well, it's early. We can't quite tell. But on the whole, yeah. you know, Phil had mentioned, of course, you know, there's opportunities to learn. It's putting in motion on restrictive funding more transparency, all the things. And it looks like, you know, it's a good gig if you can get it. And it comes down to positioning. Because ultimately, if your organization has created a culture of philanthropy where big gifts help inspire small gifts, as opposed to inhibit them, because your culture of philanthropy is welcoming to small dollar donors, mm-hmm. where you they know that they are not going to be treated less... Uh, less of a priority in 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 some ways than a major gift or full you know grant foundation that has a lot of reporting and things like that where if they feel part of the story then it doesn't matter if it's a mackenzie scott situation or your local car dealership or the community foundation or the ford foundation it doesn't matter when you get a transformational gift it should inspire not be an inhibitor to giving, but you right. have to work it that. should be something that shows not only do we have the capacity, the alignment to values, all the things that, that would make this, you know, if she believes in us almost like a vote of confidence, you know, yes. the rest of the show. It's social proof. Right. It is social proof. And that's another thing too, that I think when we're looking at trends, like there are conversations afoot at the funder side, which is if MacArthur has already vetted this and is willing to share their compliance work, which they've sort of said, you know, for example, MacArthur has said, like, that is interesting to us. We have already done the hard work. Now, if you other givers want to follow suit, we have, you know, the ability for you to have a, you know, due diligence file and X, Y, and Z that shows that you can also give. So there's things like that, that when people talk about common data standards, part of it, like as simple as compliance to your point, social proof and or actual concrete proof that actually brings forward these structures to make it easier for more people to give. That's kind of interesting, too. So I think that idea of governance structures, you know, goes beyond just the data, but actually goes into processes like compliance and proof elements that I think oftentimes have been missed. You know, when I when I think of the generosity experience, right, it's not just awareness, but it goes through the three stages of I found the organization, I'm interested in them, I'm actually going to act, and then I'm getting reported back, and they're using the money and 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 being inside the vision that I thought the gift was being used for. Sure. And so that end-to-end understanding of the donor's journey is is applicable to any type of revenue stream that you can do and you need to prioritize appropriately. You should not be rushing after small, small little things that are not going to add up. And that's, that's, that's not saying don't go after small individual donors. You just have to view them as a group and you have to be able to market and engage them in a one to many situation. That is more than possible with technology at this point. It's when people start to say, yeah, and you should do it through Amazon Smile. Like, no, that's 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 not that's like adding another unnecessary third party to the relationship, and and so that is just like where people get distracted is that they chase after things that they heard about or or are marketed to them as opposed to the things that are actually going to drive the real impact for them, right. So, so to summarize a little bit about 2023 trends, what we're thinking, and let's see if I can get at least. We talked about communications and marketing, the yep. use of, of information once pushing it through to the many, looking at that as an opportunity for nonprofits to really start to have tools around that, and that can mm-hmm. come in the form of things like AI chatbots and things like that that sort of help to bring content forward, or even just general marketing platforms that you know, like Neon and others that are starting to assist with this, this work. Is that, is that a, would you say that's one trend sort of the communications and, and such using AI, that would be one trend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's, I mean, when you get down and down to it, I'd maybe break those into two separate trends because it's they trends. influence different things, but yeah, we're, 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 okay. we're summarizing yeah. well, and you're doing we've a good got, job. We've got the one to many in general, which also comes in the form just to have this overarching theme of how can we do one to many. The other one is going to be things like data commons. So keep your eyes on common data apps, philanthropic data commons, giving Tuesday, all the things that are sort of coming together. There are going to be tools 
and different avenues and different spheres that will help to bring a one-to-many amplification of messaging. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that sort of data, data commons concept, the race, the data commons, definitely a, a second trend. Big one. The third is just that interoperability. It's the ability to pass information so you're not having to push things through, again, from one system to the next, but they're actually speaking together using APIs taking that messaging that you put together that you've then pushed one to many, but doing it automatically into the various tools that regardless of vendor are starting to work together. So, you know, Flux and Neon are not competitors. We are complementary, but we could even the thought of saying, you know, it's not just passing information from funders and across the various platforms, but even saying, look, if I'm a nonprofit, I should be able to apply to through smart, simple Flux, giving data, whatever it be, and be able to have a place where this sort of messaging is not on my on my administrative, you know, back to, uh, to support. So I think that's the other one that I just sort of call out is having that all work together in a way that technology supports and solves that human problem of having to multiply things 20 times. I I think, and when, just to paint a picture of where this could go, folks, if we're going to kind of wax poetically and think five years from now, 10 years of now, like it, did we do it? Right. Like we're writing the obituary of the sector because we've, we've solved every single problem. What does that look like? Right. All of the public uh, gaps have been filled and the have been filled and the utopia has been achieved. Let's say we have to find some paths along the way. So maybe in a few years, this would be uh, if we did things right across the board, what would that look like to the average individual donor? That's kind of where I want to end here is on my end is is because ultimately the pipeline of uh, of of that energy and financial support is coming from those individual donors for a lot of organizations that may be listening to this or or impacted by this. So uh, uh, an ideal state is I can wake up on my phone or my smartwatch or something like that. I have a digital wallet of giving that I have all an audit of all the different things that I've been giving to. It's Giving Tuesday, so it's going to notify me of some opportunities and things like that, and it's tailoring it for me. But Mm -hmm. the, the real trick of data commons and all these things and AI is that we've actually centered and understood the agency of the individual organization or the individual donor in this case, where they can withdraw consent at any time, where they can say, I do not want my information to be used for marketing purposes or things like that. Right. So we have to take that into account because that's going to level up. That's going to level up in terms of these data commons. That's going to level up in terms of, of uh, applications and things like that. What happens to my application if I don't get accepted? Are you using my information to model um, you know, that, that nonprofits like this don't get money? Like that type of thing, right? Like the, there's agency questions that we need to address here that in the future, if done right, could lead to some really interesting things that are moving the in-person experience into a digital world, right? Like I'm not talking metaverse crap. I'm talking about like I tapped my card, a nice display lit up, like they've moved the Salvation Army red buckets into the digital world, but then I'm welcomed with a personalized email series tailored for my pre- you know preferences. That's the type of stuff that's possible if we put our mind to it and actually embrace that our sector deserves its own types of innovations as opposed to the scraps that Pepsi has deemed that they should give us, basically. Right. Right. Makes sense to me. So let's talk about a final little wrap-up here. Of all the things we just went through in 2023, what parting words do you have for our listeners before you see them again in the new year as our new co-host? Um, parting words for 2022. What, what, do you, what would you like to kind of convey to the folks? I think that there is light. There is a lot of light. But the only way that we're going to actually lift ourselves up toward that, because we've had a lot of transformational events that have come to a, to a head. And what I think we need to do is to just be there. And to, to, we have to know that we're all in this together. <laughs> when you get yeah. down to it. And we need that now more than ever because what happens is that the people are basically like, I'm bored of COVID. <laughs> I don't want it anymore. Like, <laughs> I tried. I'm done. And so we have to understand that, like, historical 
inequities don't disappear overnight, especially us in the right. U.S. We're very fickle people who 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 kind of want to put our heads in the sand many times when a problem comes up, and and that's because it's a lot easier. The reality is is that we've we've shown time and time again that when we work together, we're going to be stronger. Right. And we've done that a lot. It's just a lot easier to go back into the comfort of individualism, but that's not where true change happens. And that's not who we are. And it's not even an American thing. That's one thing that I want to also state here is I'm kind of t- getting tired of American exceptionalism, the charity. It's like, you know, the British have like a whole thing here too, right? Mm-hmm. Like as an example. So um, there's a lot of things that just show that people, not Americans, Canadians, et cetera, mm-hmm. people, they, really are generous at their core. It's in our DNA. We just need to unlock that. I love that. And I feel the same way. I mean, when I think of 2022, you know, obviously transformational events, COVID still with us, BLM still with us, all the things there, gun violence, horribly more, you know, prevalent than ever. Um, Mm -hmm. Shoots, we're going back into political cycles. Like all of these have changed the way we chose to show up for each other. And I think some of my big fears is that the divisiveness of those things can oftentimes put us in positions where we forget to find that common denominator. And I think the role of community has never, of course, been more important. The role of sharing is more important. And the fact that like these are not solvable things with one perspective is even just a small microcosm testament to why you are now a co-host. Like we yes. have to be able to have this conversation and call out each other on our silly, you know, specific things that we don't, with you know, we may not see. And I think that's something that we have to connect to ourselves and especially in the social sector. Again, I say it every time. It's a collaborative, cooperative game economy. And in that, we all we all get better together. We all benefit together. So our technology has to reflect that. So I'm excited to see some of these things happen. I think, you know, this is such an exciting time of year, obviously, with the holidays. So I, I can't express enough, again, my gratitude for everyone joining us in this special season finale. Um, and most importantly, Tim, so excited to have you co-lead this next chapter with me. I mean, we got a lot of we got a lot of good ideas, folks. But I know that that for me, and I know Corinne's this way too. I'm very crowdsourced, right? Like, like I already talked to your producer, Corinne, and she's already like, "Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> let's. I get. Let's let's see." And so uh, we're we're gonna have some fun, folks. But I love hearing what you want to tackle and. Uh, and so, yeah, drop us a line. Or TikTok, you know? in Tim's case. You could go to TikTok <laughs> if you want, but I'm also on LinkedIn a fair amount, too. And and right. I know that, that uh, you know, you can always uh, head over to the Flux website where this is hosted and contact, uh, make the contact happen there, too. There we go. All right, y'all. We want to wish you a very happy holiday, sending your communities love, peace, and comfort over the coming weeks. And we look forward to seeing you in 2023. Peace. You can listen and download our episodes at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, directly from our website at flux.io. That's F-L-U-X-X dot I-O.